All right, well, this Sunday we continue with Route 66, led by Dr. Haller. Unfortunately, you, if you're listening in on this podcast, we've dropped in a little bit late in the sermon on the recording, so I just want to catch you up a little bit. We uh, are in the middle of stop 27, which is Daniel 11.32. Daniel 11.32 in the King James Version says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, or be strong and do great exploits. And it is part of your covenant that not only will you know God, but that by knowing God, you will be strong. You will be made strong in Christ, and you will do exploits. Knowing God is part of your covenant. Strength is part of your covenant. And there are going to be works. There are going to be things that you do that flow out of that covenant, out of that strength, and out of that knowledge of God. You are going to do great things. And I'll leave you with Dr. Holler as he continues from there. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Now listen, and he started out by saying, those who do violence or do evil against the covenant. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10. Hebrews 8 and 10. I want to read two verses, 10 and 11. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now listen to this verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. He didn't say you didn't need to be taught. He's saying, I don't have to teach you to know the, to know the Lord. They're not, we're not supposed to tell each other, hey brother, know the, you need to know the Lord. If you're, not, if you're already saved, you know the Lord. You do know God. You know the Lord, for all shall know me. From the guy that got saved last Sunday, the hell-raising biker that got saved last Sunday, the drug dealer that got saved last Sunday, the prostitute that got saved last Sunday, the least to the greatest. From the least all the way up to Miss Ann. From the least to the greatest, everyone shall know me. Now let's admit, some may know him a little better than others, having spent more time with him in the quiet place. But everybody that got saved today, that gets saved today, can say, I now know the Lord. This is the promise, one of the primary promises of the new covenant, is that you can know God. And when you know God, you're strong. And when you're strong, you do exploits. And when you do exploits, you chart your course for your future. Glory to God. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody else say that better amen. amen. Let's say it together. I've got a confession for you. Let's say it together. I know God. Knowing God has made me strong. And I will do great exploits. And I do know where I'm going. Glory to God. Hosea chapter 2. Mile post number 28. Moving along. Going down the highway. Toward California. Hosea 
Hosea 2.19 says, I will betroth thee unto me forever. How long? I will betroth thee. I will give you a promise of marriage and you'll be mine forever. I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercy. Listen, this, this betrothal is forever. This is not something you can just handily lose. God didn't save you to lose you. What kind of Savior is that? He saved you to keep you. Amen. If He's not keeping you, you can't be sure He ever saved you. Oh, I'm preaching good now. I'm stabbing religion right in the face. Like it belongs, like where it needs to be stabbed, right in its brain. Because it's worthy of death. They dangle God's people over hell all the time, making them afraid they might lose their salvation. There's nothing more sinister than a criminal doctrine like that. How many of you were raised under that kind of thing? I was. It's demonic. This covenant is forever. That's, go, that's what's going to make you strong. That's what's going to make you live for God. That's what's going to make you love Him. And if you love something enough, you'll do anything to please Him. Now, I'm, I'm talking to the grandparents in here. Because I'm convinced that grandparents are the only people in the world that know what unconditional love is. I'm serious. I thought I loved my kids unconditionally. I thought I did. But I had lots of rules for that love. Had lots of laws for that real love. My grandkids, I treated them all together different. My, my kids thought I had lost my mind. They stared at me watching, watching how I interact with, my, with their kids. They just looked at me. Now, one day I caught a couple of them staring at me. My, two, my, my daughter and my oldest son were just sitting there kind of whispering to each other, looking at me. Kids throwing chocolate all over everything. And I'm sitting there laughing. Miss Ann found a finger, found a handprint, grimy little handprint on the wall one time they'd come to visit us. She found this grimy, grimy little short stubby fingered handprint on the wall. A few days after they'd left, she said, John, look at this. I said, do you want me to clean it up? She said, no, I don't want you to clean it up. I'm going to leave it right there. I said, what has happened to you? <laughs> if you've never been in our house, you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. You know, everything's in the right I, I can't finish a cup of coffee <laughs> unless I sit right there with my finger in the ring. Because uh, I, if I get up and leave the room and come back, it's gone. It's, it's, it's already washed and put back in the cabinet. That's the way she is. But that handprint stayed there for months until they came back to visit us again because unconditional love had kicked in. God loves you, and when you love God to that degree, you will do anything to please Him. Amen. I'm convinced that the world needs to hear the message of love, not the message of sin. Amen. Sin only makes you worse. It only makes you worse. Love brings you out. Brings you out. Amen. How many of you are finding that you're living in greater victory since you got under this message?
Let me see the hands. Though. You say, I live in greater victory because I got him this grace message. Of course. See what I mean? Liberty comes with love and grace. Grace is empowering. As it says, he's going to establish us in this, these four things. I love this. I betroth thee unto me forever. How? In righteousness. Uh, can I teach you a little bit today? Can I do a little Bible teaching? The word righteousness, it's tzedek. Tzedek. He said it with a T at the beginning. Tzedek. T-S-E-D-E-K. Tzedek. Which means altogether right and just. So God's going to betroth us in righteousness. Something that's altogether right and just. So now listen. That means He's going to marry us on the basis of His own righteousness. Can't be altogether that we're right. Has to be altogether that He's right. He has to do something to make us right so we can be fully in partnership and in covenant with Him. What did He do? He reckoned us right when Jesus died. He reckoned us to be as right as Himself, worthy to be married to Him. Amen. Worthy to be married to Him because of His own reckoning that our sins were placed over on Jesus. That brings us to the next thing. Not only in righteousness, but in judgment. He had to make a judgment. And the word here for judgment is mishpat. M-I-S-H-P-A-T. Mishpat. Make a friend of that word by saying it. Mishpat. It means a verdict. A righteous decision has been made. A verdict has come down. What that means is, if God had brought a verdict down on you and me, we'd all be dead. We'd all be in hell right now. I don't want to point, in, point anybody out, but I know a few people in this, in this room that would be in hell right now. <laughs> right? But He didn't judge us on the basis of our righteousness. He judged Jesus on the basis of His own righteousness. He made Jesus the object of His own wrath. Blamed Him, accused Him in the court, in the court of heaven, and executed Him for what we did. You ever heard of je double jeopardy? A person that's always been pun already been punished for a certain crime can never be punished for that crime again. Or a person who's been acquitted of a crime can never be tried for that same crime again. This means that once Jesus took your sins away, they're gone forever. Forever. God will never mention it to you again. Never talk to you about it again. And listen to this, the next thing. Then comes loving kindness. That word is hesed in the, in the Hebrew. Hesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. E -S -E -D. They, the Jews said it like this, chesed, chesed, like they're clearing the throat. And it's our word for, for grace. It means loving kindness and favor. God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. Favor. Grace. Chesed. And then he says, in mercies, racham. So He's going to save you by grace and favor. And here's how He's going to keep you. 
through mercies. Racham means the compassion of the womb. The compassion of the womb. How many of you women have been expecting a child before? Let me see your hand. What do you think about all the time when you're pregnant? The baby. That's all you think about is that baby that you're carrying in that womb. You can't, you can't put on your clothes without saying, uh-oh, there's a baby in there. Amen. Making room. Got people making jokes about you swallowing a pumpkin and everything like that. How cruel. The cruelty of it all. You're thinking about that baby because for you that it's just to protect. There's no place that should be more protect, protected than the womb. The compassion of the womb, racham, that's what the word means. God's going to protect you. That means he's going to keep you. God doesn't believe in abortion. He's not going to cut you off. He's going to keep you safe. Amen. This is good news today. The gospel is what, what did all this. The righteousness, the judgment, the favor, the mercy, it all comes from the gospel. I was thinking about how did God make this happen? How did God make this happen that He brought us into this thing legally? How did He do this without breaking His own rules? Remember, who, to whom did He give authority in the Bible? He gave it to Adam. And Adam sold out to, to the snake, the devil. When did God get that authority back? Well, He didn't. He didn't get it back. Man still has it. God had to become a man to save us. God couldn't just do it from heaven. He had to become a man to save us because men had the authority. They lost their authority as men, had to get it back as a man. Are you hearing me? There are laws in the universe, laws of God, that are, that are not in the law of Moses necessarily, that God has to live by. I wondered why he didn't just roll up the whole thing and start all, all over. You know, just say, all right, I messed up that first time. I've got to fix this somehow. That's what I would do. <laughs> I'd just start all, all over, spit out the seeds again. You know, start all over. Let me try a different kind of man now. Start, just start over. But God couldn't do that because he has to live with himself for eternity. And he, if he lost the battle, he'd have to live with himself for eternity with a loss on his record. I don't know if you know anything about God, but he didn't lose. He's worse than Michael Jordan. He didn't want to lose ever, ever, never, ever lose. God doesn't lose. So he found a way to win. And he knew that if he became a man, amen, he could win. He wanted it back in Jesus. When Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, He took away everything that man lost in the garden. He took away the sin and everything that sin let in. What were some of the things that sin let in? Sickness. Disease. 
failure, depression, name it. Poverty, fear. Everything that's wrong with mankind, violence. Everything that's wrong with mankind came in when man sinned. And Jesus died to take that all away. Give us, give us a right to live above it all again in faith. So God, how did God get the door open, though, for him to do this if he didn't have authority? Some of you know, some of you have been here on Wednesday nights. He, one day he said to Abraham, 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 you have a son named Isaac. A miracle son. A son of our covenant. I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me there. Abraham said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. He didn't pray about it. He didn't get counsel from five or six people. He didn't tweet it. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't work until he had 500 likes. <laughs> if you get 500 likes on this, I'm going to do it, Lord. No, no, no. He just went and did it. Just went and did it. Obeyed God. Walked by faith and obeyed God. Took that boy up on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where? Anybody know where that is today? It sits under the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is Zion, Moriah, and Mount of Olives. Three hilltops. The, 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 the temple is Mount Moriah. Very same place, 3,500 years before, God sent Abram to sacrifice his son to him so God could open the, it would open the door legally for God to sacrifice his son for Abram in reciprocity. The laws of covenant demand reciprocal action. Are you hearing me? I, there's never been a wedding that I've ever attended, and I've, I've done 250. 40 weddings, something like that. 240, I said. 240 weddings I've done. I know how to do them. I hold the book for, the, for everybody's sake, but I know I've got it all memorized. 240 weddings. And I've never once ever seen the guy make all the promises and the girl not have to make any promises. I've heard them both make promises. He makes his promises. She makes her promises. They all make promises. Because it's reciprocity in a covenant. I will. I will. I will. I will. I promise. I promise. That's how covenants are made. Amen. God made covenant with us. He promised us. The religion does it this way. Religion says, much of religion, many denominations believe this, that if you get married and get a divorce here, you can't be forgiven. Anybody here know that doctrine? Anybody here raised under that doctrine? Yeah. They say the only unforgivable sin apparently is, is getting a divorce <laughs> and remarrying. They don't believe that you can ever get out of your marriage relationship here. But they believe that if you sin a sin, God can un unmarry you just like that. Wow. 
So God requires them to live to a higher standard than what He's willing to live to Himself. What kind of unjust God is that? It would make people live to a higher standard than He's willing to live. You see how hokey man's religion is? See how stupid man's religion is? In fact, it's the other way around. God didn't make allowance for men and women to get divorced if they needed to. And listen, lady, if you're living with a man who's beating you, get away from him. Get away from him. Don't let him kill you because he will. If he beats you regularly, he will, he will find it a day to kill you. Get away from him. And tell him Dylan said so. It's right the opposite. God's not divorcing anybody. That's His standard. Amen. Amen. It goes on and on, the story of uh, Moriah. God sent a ram up there and got his head, his horns, caught in a thicket of thorns. Genesis 20, thank you. Genesis 22. I didn't say that. Uh, now here's a ram... Here's a, a sacrificial ram with his head got thorns, got a crown of thorns on his head. Do you hear it? He became the alternate sacrifice for Isaac when Abraham took the knife and in his heart he saw that boy dead. And just before the act was committed, God, the angel said, Abraham, Abraham, my wife. Boy, you, you sure show up at a good time, I'll tell you right now. I already saw him dead. I already had it done. He said, I know I had to, get, had to take you that far to open the door for me to kill my son for you, to sacrifice my son for you. He goes on. The story goes on about, about this place on Moriah. 1 Samuel 17, little David shows up on the battlefield, and, and you know what the story is. He's all by himself with a sling and a stone. This big bully named Goliath out there and is bellowing up at, uh, from across the brook. Saying, send me a man! He wants a big man, Saul. But Saul's not going out to fight him. Send me a man! So God sends him a teenage boy. What? The giant couldn't believe his eyes. <laughs> what is this? David, and the Bible says David is running toward him. Running toward him. Can't wait to get this fight going, man. He ran toward the fight with that sling. Well, take you out, big fat guy. I'm going to take you out. Go, lieth down. And he did lie down. He did lie down. And the Bible says David cut his head off. Ran up there and pulled the poor guy's sword out and cut his head off with his own sword. <laughs> and then took his head with him later on to Jerusalem and stood outside the city gate of Jerusalem. That was before David had conquered Jerusalem. Held that head up and shouted at the, over the walls to the Jebusites who were squatting there. He said, I'm coming for you next. I got the champion of the Philistines right here. 
you're next. And they were. And he did just what he said he was going to do. He took Jerusalem back. Now, listen, this isn't in the Bible, but this is in rabbinical tradition. And I have not been able to find anywhere where this tradition is refuted. It's it's handed down through the years through rabbinical tradition. That's uh, the Mishnah and those other kinds of works, the the, the Talmud and all that. They said that David took that head and buried it just outside the city gate of Jerusalem. Buried that head. And they said the place was called the Hill of the Skull. Golgotha was once called Gaul, the hill, Goliath. Golgotha used to be Gaul, Goliath. The hill of the skull. The very place where great King David won the victory and the deliverance for his people that day by burying that, that enemy's skull there. God took Jesus right back to that same place and one deliverance for the whole of mankind. Glory to God. Glory to God. The hill of the skull. That doesn't sound so macabre, does it? It sounds kind of like some place you'd want to celebrate. It's a victory thing, the hill of the skull. No details have been left out for your deliverance. I said no details have been left out for your deliverance. God covered it, covered it all for you. I, uh, <clears throat> I called my daddy one time, who was a, a guy that could fix anything. I mean, he could fix anything. He was a farmer, a poor farmer for much of our lives. So he had to fix everything with duct tape and bailing wire. But he could fix anything with duct tape and bailing wire, especially bailing wire. And as he got older, he went to work for my, my, after he retired, he went to work for my brother, repairing washing machines and dryers and stuff. He could tell you any, any, how, what a washing machine looked like on the telephone. If you pull the back off of it, he's going to tell you what it looks like under there. Name the brand, he can tell you what it looks like. My washing machine quit working, Miss Ann. Washing machine quit working. And there was, this wasn't right. You know, there was a little water under it. Something was going wrong. I called. I said, Daddy, what do I do? He said, well, pull the thing out. Take the back off of it. Lay down there and look at it. And there's a water pump there. You'll be able to see what a, which is a water pump. It's got a belt on top and all that. I said, I see it, Daddy. I said, I'll call you back when I'm done. He told me a few things to do. He said, now, if the, if the water pump is bad... If you look over there a little deeper in there, there's a couple of contacts, electrical contacts that come together like this. He said if they're rusty, that means that, that water pump has been throwing water over there on them. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And if they get rusty and they start sticking. That's what's wrong with your machine. I looked back there and it was exactly the way he said. He said, but the first thing you want to do is take the hose off the pump and check and make sure that it doesn't have a sock stuck in it or something. 
So I did. There was no sock in there. But I ran myself a nice little pool of water to lie in. <laughs> because it was, the, the hose was full. I stuck it back on there. And then I took my screwdriver and did exactly what he told me. He said, stick it between those contacts and then turn the screwdriver and it'll pop loose. He said, then you, then you can put a little WD-40 on it and, and oil it up and it'll be fine. So I stuck that screwdriver over there. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurt. Oh, that hurts right now just telling you the story. Because I was laying in water and it burned me from my nose to my toes. My teeth were hurt. But the washing machine started working. <laughs> so, man, it's a tough thing you got to go through to get these washing machines fixed. I wonder if that happens to everybody. I put it all back together and I called my dad and I said, I got it fixed. He said, well, I told you. I said, yeah. But Daddy, you left out one important detail. He said, what's that? You forgot to tell me to unplug the washing machine. My daddy said, well, dummy. That's an important detail, Dad. You doctor got me killed. God has left out no details for your, your deliverance. I don't know how I got loose from the thing, but thank God I did. Mile post 29. Joel 2.28. And we're almost done. Joel 2.28. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. They shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And then it goes on and says, And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens I will pour out my spirit. So what he's done here is said something that the nation of Israel had never heard. They had never heard a word like this before. That the Spirit would level the playing field, as it were, between the genders, the generations, and the gophers. The servants and handmaidens. The genders, the generations, and the gophers. He makes us all the same in his mind. The great and the small are no different to God. He will give his spirit to anybody who will believe him for it. No matter your station in life, no matter your background, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how good you've been, this God takes you just like you are and will fill you with His Spirit. Amen. Amen. This comes from Acts chapter 2. This is culminated in Acts chapter 2 and verse 16. Could I get Acts 2, 16 up there? 16 through 20. Acts 2 
16 through 20, and I want to read it with you. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants are gophers, and all my handmaids are gophets. I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Stay right there. Stay on 19. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. What that's talking about is what, it, what just happened. The blood was applied to their lives. The fire of the Holy Ghost came, set upon them. And the vapor of smoke was their witness to the world. The reason you know there's a fire is not because you see fire, because you see smoke. You're, you're, you are the, the answer to blood, fire, and the vapor of smoke. The blood of Jesus applied to your sins. The fire of God living in your heart through the Spirit. And the testimony being that of the smoke. That's good right there. It's good to understand the Bible for a change, isn't it? Let's read on. Verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Listen to this. This verse 20 is talking about something extraordinary. It's talking about you and Jesus. It says, this is not, this is not the great day of the Lord. This is going to happen before that great day. Sun shall be turned into darkness, moon turned into blood. Sun and moon. Sun and moon. What is that? I'll tell you what that is. Joseph had a dream. He had a dream of the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to him. Made Jacob mad. Jacob said, your mother and I are going to... I, I get the stars bowing down, but your mother and I too? He knew that the sun and the moon were the man and wife. Your husband, Jesus, was turned dark. He became death for you. And you, the moon, the bride, covered with blood. That's all this is saying. That's all it's saying. This is going to happen before that great day of the Lord. When Jesus became dark, the lights went out in heaven. That day He died, He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The blood applied to you. The sun and the moon. Amen. Think of it. Joel says this. Our milepost for Joel is at 20, 29. Milepost 29, I believe it is. Is it? Milepost 29. is all about you now don't just have the Spirit as a visitor. You possess the Spirit of God. Not just our visiting friend, but a gift that belongs to you. You not only belong to God, as you hear all the time. You hear people try to make us be faithful by saying, You belong to God, your life is not your own. All right, all right, I get that. 
But hear me. His life is not his own either. He belongs to me. He gave me his spirit as a gift. And if he's my gift, I use it like I want it. Amen. I use him like I want to. He said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He didn't say, he didn't say believe that you receive whatever he wants you to have. He said, believe that you receive what you want. That's what the Bible says. And the reason that's right is because His Spirit is in you now. God, God, get over the idea of separation between God and man. That day is over. God now lives inside your heart. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This is the major difference between the covenants, the old and new. The Spirit has come to take up residence in us. Take up residence in us. And that makes you strong and do exploits again. That's another avenue for exploits. I, I'm going to finish with this story. Some of you have heard this story. This is the reason why Miss Ann gets attacked from time to time like she has been. The reason I get attacked, the reason you get attacked, is because you're dangerous to the devil. Paul got attacked all the time. But he had his faith that helped him overcome. Faith helps you to overcome. Faith makes you an overcomer. Doesn't mean you're not going get, to get, get attacked, but you have a way out. Amen. There's always a way out for the believer. There's always a way to overcome. We were driving down the highway one day. Some of you have heard this story, but you need to hear it once in a while. With a friend of ours who was a trained paramedic. But he wasn't working as a paramedic. He just had the training. Driving down the highway, and we looked over there, and there was a car jacked up on the side of the road. One of those bumper jacks, you know? You know, the old kind of clickety, 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 click, 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 click. Precariously lifted up there high, and right out facing it was a guy lying on his back with his feet toward his car, just lying there. And a couple of women standing beside him going, Terrified. This guy we're with, his name is Jim. He pulls over real quick and says, Looks like a heart attack. I gotta, I gotta stop and help. Render aid, you know. So we all jumped out and he's rendering aid. It's doing no good. This guy's dying, turning bad looking colors. I knelt down on one side beside Jim. I've got the guy by the hand. Knelt down on my one knee, you know. I'm kind of praying a quiet little prayer. Not a Pentecostal prayer at all. I don't know what was wrong with me that day. <laughs> then I'm praying and saying, oh God, help him. I've never really touched, touched a dead guy before on the road. I don't want this to be the first. Help him, Jesus. Help him, Lord. You know, that kind of prayer was going no, no higher than my head. And this guy starts to really be in trouble. And Jim says, I'm losing him. Whispered real loud, so, and the women heard him. By this time, there's five or six other cars stopped, and there's a crowd of people standing around. Miss Ann's on the other side, and she heard it too. She heard him say, I'm losing him. She slammed both hands down on that guy's chest, just about knocked the guy out of the way. And she screamed, No! You're not going to die! I command you to live in Jesus' name. Death, take your hands off this man. That's 
and I'm telling you with my hand up, that guy took a breath and color came back into his face. I went, and Jim, Jim looked at me and said, I think he's going to make it. I stood there looking at her thinking, I don't think he's got a choice. I never saw anything like that. Now, she wasn't raised with miracles. She wasn't raised in that kind of setting like I was. But she'd been reading a book about, about Smith Wigglesworth. If you've never read anything about Smith Wigglesworth, it'll change your life. Apparently, it'll change your wife. <laughs> Changed mine. <laughs> Made her a miracle woman. Now, everybody I know calls for prayer. Because this, this power that is resident in us. In fact, I have people call the house sometimes. If I answer the phone, they ask for Miss Ann. I had a guy, before she was a pastor, I was a pastor of the church. I had a guy call one day, and I answered the phone. I never answered the phone, as y'all know. <laughs> hello, hello. Oh, Pastor John, uh, well, I, I, was, I said, what can I do for you, brother? He said, well, I, I was hoping to talk to Miss Ann. <laughs> I said, well, she's getting dressed for church. He said, yeah, I'm not going to be there this morning. I just wanted her to pray for me. Hang on. I held my hand over the phone so he could hear me. I said, Miss Ann, I got a guy here who doesn't think I know how to pray. <laughs> he looked for somebody with faith. I could hear him laughing on the other end of the phone. I said, she'll be right out. He said, no, I didn't mean that, Pastor John. I said, yes, you did. <laughs> she came out there and prayed for him and everything's all right. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your kindness and grace to us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to show us your loving kindness, your righteousness, your judgment, and your mercies, that you have betrothed us forever. Thank you, Father, that you make us strong as we know you. Make us able to do exploits and know where, where we're going. Thank you, God. Thank you, our Father. I pray for these here in this room today. These here who want to say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Make me strong. Make me what you want me to be. I pray for these who have stumbled in their lives. I pray that the Holy Ghost will reveal Himself to them so they can be born again. So they can come to know you in the full, free assurance of salvation. Bless them in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are you sick of living like you, like you have been? Would you like a change? You can change today because Jesus knows how to change you. Yours is not about changing you. Yours is about changing your focus of faith, your focus of your trust. Stop believing in your own ability to do good and believe on Jesus. He'll change everything for you. If you're here today and you say, I want a new start. I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I'm not sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven, but I want, I want to. I want, I want to know Him like you know Him, like this message I've heard today. Would you raise a hand and say, that's me, pray for me. Just raise a hand and say, that's me, pray for me. I'm not going to have you come forward. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all pray together for these who've raised their hands. 
Pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you, Lord, for my soul, for my spirit, for my body to become yours. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again the third day. And I trust you now, Jesus, to take away my sins as I receive this reconciliation, this forgiveness. And I believe on the basis of your word that I confess that Jesus is Lord, that now I'm saved, and that I will never be the same. I'm going to heaven in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Praise God.